If you want more from Dee and her sister and partner in crime, Rhonda, check out Switchblade Sisters Social Club, a true crime podcast where two sisters exploit their worst fears for your entertainment. You're welcome. You're listening to We Knew the Moon with Dee Safier, an empath who started a podcast to explore the universe, spirituality, and all things with you woo-woo. Don't forget to check out the website, weknewthemoon.co.uk for all your I do what I want and the moon made me do it merch, whichever excuse you prefer to use for all of your life choices. Hi everyone, my name is Dee and this is We Knew the Moon. I'm so excited because we are joined again by Tracy Pretty. Hi Tracy. Hi Dee, I'm here again, I'm back. I know. And so some of you who've been following us for a while will know Tracy as the original, the, the OG, um, <laughs> the original. co-founder of We Knew the Moon. And she had to take a step back now that her shop is more up and running after all the restrictions from the pandemic. But she promised that she would always come back and do regular guest spots. So today is one of those days and I'm really excited. Check out her website, by the way. MissPrettyLondon.co.uk or if you're local, it's on Church Street in Twickenham. Go and check it out. It's such a gorgeous shop. I love it so much. It's where most of my money goes. Thank you, Meg. I'm just going to say as well that I may be rebranding. If you get Church Street or the website, it will redirect anyway, but we may be called The Hair in the Moon. Depending on how quickly I can get my bombing gear to do it. This episode is on empaths and narcissists. But I'm so I've been so excited about this one. Been researching it a while and desperate to tell you all the things I found out. But I'm like, nope, going to wait to recording day. So you and I, we identify as empaths, don't we? It's the name that sits most comfortably. Yeah, that's right. Right. Talk about we don't identify maybe with witch, not even maybe pagan, but no, there's something probably sensitive about us where we do follow a lot of these practices. We're slightly different, aren't we, Dee? And I think yeah. Empath sums it up in a way that sits well with me. But also, when you say, oh, I'm an empath, there's loads of different types of empaths. So it doesn't necessarily describe what you are, what you feel, what what your sort of special sensitivities are that well, unless you go into what kind of empath you are. And you and I, Tracy, I think we share some of the same empath traits, but I also think we've got different ones as well. So I am going to go through a list of different types of empaths. Now, there's a bit of confusion, not a bit of confusion, but there's different ideas about how many different types of empaths there are. Also, like the Witch Witch episode, you'll probably, if you identify as an empath, you'll probably find that you've got a little bit of several of the different types. So what I want us to do is every time I tell you about a different type, I want us to say between one and 10, how much we feel like this type of empath describes us. Oh, I like it. It's like an empath quiz. Yeah. So a lot of this is coming from our dear goddess, Judith Orloff, <laughs> author of Empath Survival Guide, got an empath mini series that we did between seasons one and two, which includes a throwback to an interview that I did with her a few years ago. Do check out that episode. Do read the Empath Survival Guide. It is literally like my Bible. I remember coming across it I'd heard about empaths, but not fully understood what it was. And reading this book felt like it was describing me. Mm. And it was like getting a diagnosis. Judy, the words in my mouth that I perhaps couldn't find. So as I was reading it, it's like, yes, yes, that's 
bit. Yes, I do do this. Yes, this does happen. I feel this. I'm not alone. It is a thing. Like when you maybe go to the doctor and you get diagnosed with something and you're like, oh, finally. Okay, I wasn't losing my mind. It's an actual thing. Yeah. Exactly. I'm not going to go too much into detail about how to cope as an empath. We've done past episodes in the empath mini series. We've talked about it a lot. But do check out the Empath Survival Guide if you feel like any of this applies to you. But I am going to go into the different types of empaths. This is so exciting. So remember, one to ten, zero meaning it doesn't apply to you at all. And ten being like, fucking hell, that's the dictionary definition of me. Okay? So physical empath. Physical empathy. This is a quote from Dr. Judith Orloff. Physical empathy is when you're attuned to other people's physical symptoms. And you tend to absorb them into your own body. So, for example, if someone has a migraine, you get a headache. Like sympathy pains, sympathy cramps or sympathy labor pains or whatever. That would be an example of physical empath. So you, when your friend or loved one, it te- you tend to be more susceptible to people that you're close to with a lot of empath traits. So someone around you, someone you love, someone close to you is having physical symptoms and you feel them to a certain extent yourself as well. They can also be positive. So if you've got a friend who's feeling physically vibrant, you may also feed off that. So what do you think? One to ten. This is a new thing I'm just working on now, where I think it's happening more than I know. So I'm going to go for a six or a seven. And the reason is that I've had a couple of experiences where I would have just thought that was life you know not noticed it more but now I know it's the thing you start to pick up oh this is what's happening mirroring is yeah and so one of the things I do is if I have a bad night's sleep my mom has a bad night's sleep and vice versa oh both know if we've had awful nights of just anxiety or restlessness or usually something's happening with the moon and she'll phone me in the morning to check I'm all right or (laughs) just know that we've both had a bad night's sleep and I don't know whether she starts it or I start it It, my mum naturally is close to me even though she doesn't live near me and I don't see her a lot the bond is very close it's also one that I haven't paid too much attention to and I will do after doing this research going forward I'm going to pay more attention to it I'm going to say maybe three. Okay. But I'm going to pay more attention and that might go up. I had the reverse happen where I met up with my friend Charlie and he was holding his liver and said that he'd experienced pain in his liver for like a while. And I at the time was due for a liver scan and my COVID was causing problems with my liver and that my spleen area where he was holding was actually where my pain started that I'd been having and he couldn't figure out whether it was diet or something wrong with him and that's the frustrating thing with being an empath which he clearly is is that sometimes you don't know what is your pain or what are your emotions or your physical feelings and what are those of another person and that's why it can be often very draining right quite embarrassing actually I felt almost apologetic of oh (laughs) sorry about my liver (laughs) sorry so physical empathy we're not entirely too sure it seems like but we're going to pay more attention this one I feel like is going to be high for both of us emotional empath so it's the same as the physical empath but with emotions and again it can be positive or negative but we can tell what this other person is feeling 
we, as a result, get really exhausted by whingers and narcissists. We as empaths are left quite often not being sure what which emotions are ours and which are not. And if you're not an empath, I've tried explaining being an empath to other people. And they're like, what? You feel sad when your friends are sad. It's more than that. I'm not saying that people who aren't empaths don't have empathy. Even if you're not an empath, if your friend or someone tells you some, you know, is going through some stuff, of course, you're going to feel for them. The difference with being an empath is that it is basically it becomes your emotion, too. It's a roller coaster because you've got all of your emotions and someone else's emotions. It's next level being compassionate and having mm-hmm. empathy. So what score out of 10 do you think you'd give emotional empath? I'm going high. 9.999. Yeah. So they like to give 10, really. I'm going to say an 8 or a 9 because I think it's stronger for me with, like I said, people that I know and care about. So intuitive empath is the next one. Now, again, there's lots of overlapping features in these different categories. So, but they don't even need the other person to say what is wrong. They can sense it when they haven't even vocalized it. They think they're covering it well. Paul gets annoyed with me when I ask him if he's okay, if he hasn't indicated to me that he's not okay. But I, I try to explain to him, no, but I can tell there's something wrong. And normally it is something that he's reluctant to talk about, not ready to talk about or whatever. So I think this is something that is a good practice that you can make stronger as an empath if you want to. I think it's something which I'm trying to work on. I like to do a fun game when people come in my shop. If they're looking at the crystals, tapping in a little bit to the one I think they need. It's my little game I play. <laughs> but actually, it gets stronger the more I try and do it. So I, I would say on that one, maybe a 6.5 for growing through choice. Yeah. I'm quite enjoying using my intuition. I like to see it as going to a gym. You know, the more you work out, the stronger you become. And yeah. it's the same with empaths. I think as time goes on and the more we understand our superpower and know how to work through the harder times, the more we do see it as a gift and not a hindrance. The next one is dream empath. Dream empaths receive intuitive information from dreams that help themselves and help others, according to Dr. Orloff. I rarely remember my dreams. I would say I remember a dream once every three, four months. For me, I get nothing from dreams, so I'm going to give this a zero. I'm the same, D, actually, zero to one. You know, I'm like, you see, I don't remember my dreams, but I'm pretty sure if I did, they'd be really good. Plant empath is the next one. If you're a plant empath, you accurately feel the need of plants and connect with their essence, says Dr. Orloff. Um, that's not me. I kill all my plants by accident. I would love to say that I was that, but no. They I say I'm going to give myself a zero on that. I give myself negative numbers on this one. I'm so bad at it. No, same here. I can't tell what a plant needs. I overlove it. It dies. I feel sad. I wouldn't say I feel the plant's pain. I just feel guilt. But this might be a little bit more us. We are nature lovers, aren't we? Earth empath. So like the plant empath, but more in tune with the whole universe. Or the whole ecosystem. So changes in the planet we are sensitive to, like the weather. Some Earth empaths can sometimes sense earthquakes before they happen. Wow. So I started to do a thing recently. We've had a horrific summer of bad storms, like mm-hmm. sunshine, lots of rain. And I caught myself saying to a customer the other day, What's the planet trying to say to us, huh? I just try and understand what this weather means. It's trying to tell us something. And you know when you have that moment of like, 
Trace, what did you just say? Like, did you just come out of your mouth? Well, the planet is quite clearly telling us that climate change is real and a mega problem. So we need to get on that. I would say I'm more an Earth empath than a plant empath, but still not a very high number. Maybe a two or a three. I'm probably a three going up to four. The next kind is an animal empath. Oh. I know. So I would say I'm quite high on this one. If you're an animal empath, you're probably the one playing with the pet at the party. Oh, that's very true. He has a lot of pets as well. So I think yeah, I do. Sometimes I question whether it's me transposing human emotions on these animals. Like, oh, look, that dog is happy or that dog is sad. Oh. Is that just me kind of creating personalities for them? But I don't think so. And like, for sure, when an animal is suffering, I literally physically feel sick, cannot bear it. I think that one, I'm quite high. What about you? I can't watch. What's the show, The Battersea Dog Time with? Oh, For the Love of Dogs. Yeah, I can't. Even though they have a happy ending, can't watch any animal suffering. So on that scale, I'd say quite high. But I don't know whether that's empath or just the heart. I think the difference between some an animal lover and an animal empath is the amount it affects you. Yeah. Would you say I, you're quite high on that one, too? Yeah, I'd say probably it's one of my highest. I'd say like an eight or nine. Aww. I can listen to stories. You know I'm, how I love my murder podcast. Mm. I can listen to those all day. And, you know, they cover a bunch of all the true crime podcasts and documentaries. Loads of, you know, horrific, horrific things. If any of the victims is an animal, I just can't. There's even a website, and I can't remember the name of it, but there's a website where you can Google films to check if any of the animals die in it. I've still not watched Marley and Me. I can't. No. I watched the first five minutes when Marley was a puppy, and then I was like, okay, that's my, I'm done now. What do you think your number is for this? I'm on the fence here. I'd say five. Right, so those were the types of empaths specifically talked about in the Empath Survival Guide by Judith Orloff. Then I found a couple of other types of empaths. This is from an article on yourtango.com called Read If You Want to Know What Type of Empath You Are. (laughs) I'm now only going to talk about the types of empaths that weren't already mentioned, right? These are the extra types of empaths that they thought there were. One of them is a claircognizant empath which I think is actually quite similar to the intuitive empath, intuitive empath that we previously mentioned. Being a claircognizant empath, you have the ability to know if and what needs to be done in a situation without any solid evidence or rationale behind it. Oh, wow. That was interesting. That's like fucking, right, okay, we need to do this, this, and this. No, I don't know why, but we do. Like, in my mind, that's like a super good, like a natural leader or manager maybe. Yeah, has that ever happened to you, Dave? I don't know. Again, maybe something I need to pay more attention to because I feel like I'm quite good at knowing what to do a lot of the time, but I feel like that's more based on evidence or experience or research or analysis or logic or something rather than my intuition. But maybe there is a bit of that as well. I don't know. This is a skill that is for sure a skill that I've had to use a lot during event planning where you really have to think on your feet, especially if like some delay or problem comes up. You have to be really decisive. Otherwise, your whole fucking event that you've been planning for months and months and months might be a disaster. Mm. But again, I don't know whether that's based on, sol- like my decisions were based on solid evidence or rationale or whether they were intuitive. Wow. How do you react maybe in an emergency as well? 
So I, d- I don't really know how to score myself on that. Do you? Let's go on the level of a five. Let's go for a five. The next one is psychometric empath. Now, we talked a little bit about this. Psychometry with Michelle Dashwood when she talked about spirits and ghosts, because she was talking about when a medium is able to pick up an object and get a reading off the object. Oh, yeah. So this is pretty much the same thing. The psychometric empath has the ability to receive information and energy from an object, photographs, or a location that are significant to a person. Interesting. So on one of my courses, my angel healing course, one of the recommendations that they said, if you want to improve on your psychic skills, is this practice. So you get photos or items, you get people to give them to you, and then you focus on them and see what you can tell that person about them or with the photos you turn them face down and then you pick the one of of a certain person and it's practicing your reading of objects and apparently the more you do it the stronger you get at being right and it's a gift but it's also a thing that you can strengthen and work on if you want to go in that direction. I'm going to bring around some objects for you to try then if you, like little, you do your homework. That's a game you could do. Yeah. <laughs> I must admit, as much as I'd love to grab an object and get a feeling from it, not so much. Maybe a space, a room. Yes, I definitely feel energies in rooms more yeah. than items. But it does say that you receive energy from objects or locations. So maybe we, maybe that is us. Okay. So I'm going to say maybe a four for that reason. Yeah. What about you? What do you think? I think they're four or five. Still not sure. Yeah. So the next one is precognitive empath. The precognitive empath holds the ability to feel a situation or event occur prior to it actually happening. This can be seen through dreams or extreme emotional, physical upheaval. Precognitive empaths may experience a sudden sense of anxiety or nervousness and their intuition becomes intensified or heightened. Now, I don't think this is me at all, but what I will say, I can't sense what's going to happen, but I can sense when something isn't going to happen. This is going to sound weird. If we make a plan, right? You can't picture it. That's it. That's exactly it. Like, for example, when we booked to go to the Summer Solstice Festival, I wanted to go so much. I was so excited. I was planning for it. But in my mind, I couldn't imagine it happening. Yeah. I couldn't visualize us there. I can't visualize it and it ends up not happening. Because I can't visualize it, do I think it's not going to happen? And then I, the self-prophecy happens where because I can't imagine it, I'm less invested and therefore it doesn't happen. Hmm. But then I think of examples like this festival, and that's why I mentioned it, where it didn't not happen I'm going to try to use less negatives in one sentence. The reason why it didn't happen had nothing to do with us. No. It was a fucking global pandemic. (laughs) So that was nothing to do. There's no way that I influenced that outcome of us not going. No. These are things a lot of the time that I'm super excited about. I had bought outfits to wear at that festival. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I feel like I can sense when something's not going to happen for me because I just don't feel it in my bones or I'm not able to visualize it. The next one is the medium or the psychic empath. So these are the people that are in tune with the spirit. So they can communicate, hear, or see different spirits. Oh, what do you reckon, Dave? Um, 
we've had many chats about this one before, haven't we? Because we went to Glastonbury and we went into that really old pub and you said to me, what do you feel? It was like that medieval place. It just had a little bit of a... Yeah, the Georgian pilgrim. I don't know. I don't think it's something I'm very good at. What do you think? I have a few examples of living in places which have just been horrific. One of them caused what I thought was a nervous breakdown. And I seem to have lived in places where suicides have happened. Three of my flats say people have jumped and fallen off the balcony. I would just like to point out that you weren't there at the time because otherwise it's just maybe I'm listening to too many crime podcasts. Oh. Kind of sounds like the one link is you, Tracy. I wasn't once, unfortunately. I was. And I was in my office. And I guess it's the moment where you reflect on, hmm, yeah, my brain's painting one story, but actually it was very different. And for some reason, I stepped out. My brain told the story after that I'd heard something. But I didn't see. For something, I stepped out and I looked over the balcony and there was a man there. He had no family. He'd had no story in the paper. He didn't even have proper investigation, which makes me really sad. Is this my brain making this up because I need to paint the story or is there something else going on? I'll never know. I looked at him and instantly felt that he was an immigrant who had moved to the country, homeless had no family, no connections, moved for a better world. I don't think he probably spoke the language and I think he had nothing. Whether that's my empath part or whether that's just my brain making that story, but yeah, I've lived in three places where suicides have happened. One of them, we had to move. It sent me into breakdown. She tried to possess me. She caused a huge anxiety. I felt the tingles going from my feet up through my body when I was eating dinner. I wasn't practicing oh. any form of spirituality. So there was no protection. I had no crystals. This is pre-spiritual Tracy. She was troubled and she saw me as an open portal for whatever she wanted. And as soon as we moved in, it was like I was lifted. I had something really heavy dragging on me. So yeah, I'd say not through choice, definitely not through practice. Actually, it's something I protect myself against here. It's something that scares me very much, getting in touch with the wrong spirit, the wrong energy, not knowing what to do. It seems very risky. I think I'm quite high on that, unfortunately, like a nine or a nine. The next type of empath I'd never even heard of before, and I'm probably going to say it wrong, but is the Heyoka empath. Now, the Heyoka empath is the most powerful, powerful type of empath. Known in Native American culture as the sacred clown, the Hayoka tends to be an unconventional in their thoughts and actions and act as an emotional mirror for those around them. And the Hayoka empath's ability is to make people question themselves and it promotes emotional healing in those around them. Wow, like a trigger empath, a trigger person. Yeah, like a motivating, a motivational speaker empath or something. (laughs) I'm not, not entirely too sure. Anyways, then I found another article which had, they have 14 different types of empaths, but three of them were new to this list that I've already compiled. So this is from greatest.com and an article called Types of Empaths. Indigo empath, which is not to be confused with indigo children, who are a totally separate thing. Indigo empaths are sensitive to issues of morality and virtue. (laughs) If someone's acting in bad faith or acting immorally, 
the indico empath is likely to spot it. They are instinctively feel drawn to those who act with a sense of righteous moral purpose, caring whether someone is good more than whether they are nice. And there's a big difference between that. Doesn't really know. I mean, everyone's idea of morality is really subjective, isn't it? Can you spot someone who's lying, Dee? Yeah, but that's just a general empath thing, isn't it? Nice. I am terrible at spotting people's motives and morals. Well, then you're not an indico empath. I'm going to score me low on this. Like it's two. You? Zero. But the important thing to remember, though, is that you can be different types of combination of these different types of empaths and to different mm. extents. You might be wondering, wow, being an empath sounds shit. What are the advantages? <laughs> and it is true. Unless you do a lot of research in being an empath and practice, 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 self-care, boundaries, all this kind of stuff, it is really shit. Not going to lie. Right? We know no difference. I'd love to be that carefree person who is in their own bubble and not feeling the world. But I know no difference. So, But empaths tend to become, they quite often go down the route of being a healer, diplomat, peacemaker, counsellor. So they have an ability to articulate what other people are feeling, sometimes better than those people themselves. And this lends itself to helping the other people with their emotional growth with healing rifts between their misunderstood parties, so mediating. Mm. But it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because as an empath, you can't always switch off your hypersensitivity, which is why you need to just literally retreat and be on your own. That's the only way that you can switch off, by removing all the stimulus. And you can become overwhelmed if you don't regularly take time to ground yourself, to focus on your own needs, self-care, etc. I also had a little Google about whether it's rare to be an empath. And I found that it is apparently extremely rare because I was thinking, well, it's not that rare because I have lots of empath friends. But then I was thinking, actually, no, because maybe I specifically choose to have empath friends. But apparently research estimates that just one to two percent of the population possess empath traits. Wow. Did you think it was that low? No, I thought. I would have thought like 10, 20 percent. Like you, so many people in my life that have it. And I meet so many people that are empaths that in our world today, it's quite common. Because we attract them more, can spot them more, are attracted to them more. Like you in your shop, for example, you've got this lovely spiritual gift shop. So, Mm. of course, empaths are going to be drawn to that. You're going to have a higher percentage of empaths. Mm. higher density of empaths coming into your shop than in the average population. But like you said, it is difficult because you as an empath tend to put everyone's needs before your own and therefore you have a tendency to have emotional burnout before others. But we're thought of as good listeners. You know you're an empath if you go to a party and you get a stranger telling you their life story. People open up to you, you know, even if you've just met them and sometimes they even say to you, oh, I don't even know why I told you that. It's like, oh, it's because I'm an empath. Don't worry about it. Everyone fucking does it. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, you're thought of as a good listener. People come to you with their problems. You're also considered to be a good problem solver. Again, going back to like having that intuition in decision making and problem solving. And you're also known to be caring, nurturing because of this special ability to feel and read people or the situation. These people, empaths, us, would take on the world's problems if we could and carry that burden with them, which quite often we do. 
which means that empaths are quite often prone to anxiety, depression, fatigue, but also things to help numb those emotions. So that's why you get a lot of empaths, unfortunately, going down the route of addiction. Yeah. Very important to understand if you feel like you are an empath, fucking buy that book, Empath Survival Guide. It will literally change your opinion about being an empath from being a curse to being an absolute gift. But you have to know how to deal with it. Mm. Those are all the different types of empaths. As you saw, there's some overlap between the different ones. I suspected that we would feel like we had little bits of some of them and more bits of other ones. It's not one cohesive group. Not all empaths are exactly the same. A bit like the witches episode. Do you remember when we tried exactly. to exactly witchy were? I guess it's the same for this. Exactly. Some will be stronger, some will resonate more. Now we're going to talk about a slightly more serious, harmful side to being an empath, and that is our relationship with narcissists. Mm, my tongue ends at that word. Just Ooh. I think that's probably true of a lot of empaths because chances are we've come across several narcissists in our life. And I wanted to talk a little bit about why that is and also how to protect ourselves from those situations. First of all, I wanted to talk about what a narcissist actually is. I mean, it's another one of those words that we throw around a bit, usually in a not too complimentary (laughs) tone, but I wanted us to sort of define what is an actual narcissist. And it's a person who has an excessive interest in or admiration of themselves. If you think of people that are egotistical, vain, the type of person like, I mean, it manifests itself in loads of different ways. But, you know, the type of person where if you've been to Tenerife, they've been to Eleventh. Yes, always better. Always manage to revert a story back onto themselves. Those are the sort of obvious examples. But sometimes it's not as easy to pick up on a narcissist as that. It was really interesting because I was researching empaths and narcissists and the links and relationships between them. And I got some like sources I would not expect, The Independent and Economic Times. Really? So I quite like that I got these from sort of the, the non-traditional sources for this kind of topic. These names are used a lot in psychology, though, aren't they? Exactly. So the thing with empaths is that we are naturally drawn to narcissists and they are naturally drawn to empaths. And unfortunately that leads to toxic relationships. Hmm. You will not get a happy empath slash narcissist relationship. It's just not possible. So the empath's natural state of being is give, give, give. And the narcissist is take, take, take. Mm -hmm. The narcissist loves someone worshipping them or going above and beyond for them. And that's what empaths do. You know, we have like broken wing syndrome. There's clever narcissists and there's stupid narcissists. The stupid narcissists are just very obviously narcissists right from the start. But the clever ones know how to manipulate and use charm to get in there. Yeah. And then by the time you realize, shit, it's a narcissist, you're already in love with them. You're invested. You're in a relationship. You're in a deep friendship. And it's harder to extricate yourself. One of the main difficulties with being an empath is that empaths forgive everything. Oh, I don't know about that, (laughs) Dee. Well, maybe not everything, but empaths are very forgiving because you make excuses for the other person. You see their side so much that you're like, oh, well, you know, 
they had a difficult childhood, so that's why they cheated on me or whatever, right? Let's say forgive, but not forget. No, because it hurts so hard. But because of this forgiving nature, the narcissist knows that they will be able to get away with more with an empath than possibly someone else. Very true. But unfortunately, it leaves, like you say, we forgive, but we don't forget. So it leaves the empath feeling used and degraded. And therefore, your self-esteem takes knocks. And then you're more easily manipulated because you feel so low. Do you know what? I had such an interesting conversation with Paul the other day about empaths, because I can tell Paul being my partner, he's a very compassionate, loving person, but he's not an empath. So I think he's still struggling to understand exactly what it is. And so he said, so you know how you're an empath and you say that like you're very sensitive, then why do you hate when people call you overly sensitive? And I was like, hmm, interesting, because that's true. I do get called overly sensitive, and I do fucking hate it. And yet I describe myself hypersensitive to certain things. But I realized, and this is the crucial difference, like with the term witch, the same with sensitivity, if someone's using it to describe you and using it as a weakness, Mm -hmm. saying you're oversensitive, as in it's a bad thing about you, I fucking hate that. I'm glad you compared it to the word witch, because I was just thinking that day. Yeah, so it all goes to the intent behind the word. Yeah. Back to narcissists. Narcissists like people that they can get the most out of, the most admiration, the most gifts or attention or whatever it might be, money. They like the people they can get the most out of, so they often target empaths. And this might be all subconscious. You might meet a narcissist who's never even heard of these terms, but they just know what they want and what kind of person to get it from. It won't be surprising to you that in this Business Insider article that Judith Orloff is quoted because she is the goddess. She said, this toxic attraction is always destined for disaster. Empaths and narcissists attract each other, but it is not ever going to be a happy relationship. It will always be toxic, unfortunately. And so the quote is, what narcissists see in empaths is a giving, loving person who is going to try and be devoted to you and love you and listen to you. But unfortunately, empaths are attracted to narcissists because at first this is about a false self. Narcissists present a false self where they can seem charming and intelligent and even giving until you don't do things their way. And then they get cold, withholding and punishing. By the time you realize what's happening, you might be emotionally attached and emotionally involved and us empaths we emotionally attach hard and it's difficult to turn your back on someone because it goes against our nature of wanting to help so orloff says it can take quite a while sometimes for the narcissist to show their true colors and she tells her clients to never fall in love with a narcissist but i mean it might be too late very easy from the outside to see something unfolding but when you're in The tornado or the storm is very different. The whole idea is that they're manipulating your thoughts and you don't know whether you're coming and going. You lose self-confidence in your decision and your judgment. The interesting thing that I don't think I really fully clocked onto is that narcissists love drama and chaos. They thrive in it because it's easy to manipulate situations and people when there is drama and chaos. So here from Shannon Thomas, a therapist and author of the book, Healing from Hidden Abuse, which I'm totally buying and reading. (laughs) Empaths work hard for harmony. We just want fucking peace. We want peace of mind. We want stability. We want calm, right? Because any kind of change in the emotion or the vibe really is unsettling for us. 
Whereas narcissists are looking to do the opposite. They enjoy chaos and they like to know how to pull people's strings. Narcissists manipulate empaths by stringing them along with, this is a key phrase, intermittent hope. Now, if you've ever been in a relationship that's been abusive, and I'm not just talking about, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend. I mean, like friendships, family, whatever. This phrase, intermittent hope, fucking got me because that is exactly it, right? They seem to know when exactly to show you these little glimmers of hope of like a better life with them. The minute you're like, that's it, I'm leaving, I'm cutting this person out, it's over. You get this little fucking nugget of joy from them. Yeah. And that is enough for us to cling on to like, oh my God, maybe it can change. Maybe I got it wrong. Maybe they're not so bad after all. Maybe it's my fault. Maybe I just need to try harder. And sometimes these little glimmers of hope are just so pathetically small. Yeah. We're just so desperate to have any kind of sign that we're doing the right thing by being with this person, keeping this person in our life, helping this person, whatever our relationship with them is. You're waiting for that penny to drop with them. Oh, shit. I have been an asshole. But that moment will never come. Never (laughs) Never come. And even after you break up with a narcissist or cut them out of your life or move on from a job where you're working for one, if you are waiting for closure, just fucking move on and find your closure somewhere else. You will not have the closure that you want if the closure you want is for them to realize all the things they've done bad, apologize for it profoundly, and promise you they'll never do it again and that they've grown as a person. If you're waiting for that kind of closure from that relationship, stop holding your breath and just accept that you have been involved with a narcissist and that will never happen. And your closure is that you were strong enough to move away and find something better for yourself. Horrible crap, isn't it? It's awful. It just makes me feel sick thinking about it. But then I moved on. I hear this term psychic vampire a lot. So I wanted Mm. to know like how closely linked is that to a narcissist? And I think pretty much in a lot of ways it, it, it describes a narcissist. It's more often used in like popular culture and literature and stuff. It's also known as an energy vampire. It's people that feed off of your energy. We used to work with someone like this and we used to call her the vibe assassin. We'd always have such good fun at work. And as soon as she walked in the room, silence and the mood would just plummet. So we called her the vibe assassin. I think we all know people like this. Energy vampire, psychic vampire as well. It's more a term used in like talking about the cult and religion and spiritual beliefs and stuff. It's not always intentional with them. No. So I imagine that a psychic vampire is a kind of narcissist or a narcissist is a kind of psychic vampire. There's a lot of overlap. Dion Fortune, who's the British occultist who lived in Glastonbury and who fought the front in World War II against, against the Nazis, the spiritual front. So her and her gang of occultists and spiritualists used to get together to to fight the Nazis on the spiritual plane. Wow, I never knew that. I know. How cute is that? Like, of course it did. Of course everyone gave everything they've got. Yeah, exactly. You you would sit there and be like, I want to join the efforts. Well, what can I do? You know, so she also talked a lot about psychic parasitism. Ooh, these words give me goosebumps. That idea that they're feeding off you, mm-hmm. you know, that's what you have to imagine. They are literally feeding off you. So you got to cut off their source. They get increased energy around other people, but it leaves the other person exhausted or drained. Headachey. Yeah. <laughs> this quote, 
freaks me out a bit. From healthline.com, how to recognize and respond to energy vampires at home, work, and more. And this quote just freaks me out. Energy vampires can be anywhere and anyone. They can be your spouse or your best friend. They can be your cubicle mate or your neighbor. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, ah, hide away from the world. Learning how to identify and respond to this toxic behavior can help you preserve your energy and protect yourself from a great deal of emotional and physical distress. Here are some characteristics of energy vampires before we go into how to defend ourselves from them, right? You've got to learn how to spot them. Mm. They don't take accountability. We talked about this, right? The closure and with them acknowledging, you know, a sense of justice, like just admit you were wrong. You won't ever have a psychic vampire or a narcissist admit they were wrong unless they are doing it just to manipulate you. They don't believe it, but they're saying it because they know at this point it's the only thing to keep you dangling for a little bit longer. They're often charismatic because quite often assholes need to be charismatic to keep you dangling. And they seem to slink out of trouble. Water off a duck's back, you know? Because they don't care. They don't care so much, but they're just experts at letting nothing touch them like that. Mm. They're crafty and they often pin problems on other people. Such a shame, Dee, because they're actually really clever. And if they put their energy into something positive, they could really be like amazing world leaders. They could put that energy to really good positive use. Exactly. It's like evil geniuses, you know? That's exactly what. If they use that genius for good, imagine where we'd be. But they're not, and they never will. But because they never accept responsibility or any part in their role in a disagreement, it means you're left holding the blame and the guilt. Yeah. So you're left feeling really fucking shit. Because, you know, when you resolve an issue with your partner or your friend or a coworker, and you're like, right, okay, well, I could have done this better or I was wrong to do this. If you're the only one doing that. Yeah. The other person's like, yeah, you should have done that better. Yeah, it is all your fault. You're going to be left feeling crap, aren't you? Whereas if they were saying, yeah, well, I also misunderstood and overreacted and I did this that was a bit bitchy. You have the opportunity to both a lot more positive about the situation because you resolved it. You've both admitted that you were being immature or angry or whatever, and you can move on. But they are also always involved in some kind of drama, which is exactly what we're talking about with the narcissist. That's their drive. They are happy in the middle of a catastrophe because People that are in flux and emotional distress are easier to manipulate. (laughs) They never like to be outdone and they aren't keen to share the spotlight. So again, 11 or (laughs) They also, here's a key indicator. They struggle to feel genuine happiness for another person. So here are some ways to protect yourself against psychic vampires, energy vampires, psychic parasites, narcissists. You know, these group of individuals that share a lot of common characteristics and that often target empaths because we are open to this kind of manipulation more than others. Our walls are down Mm. and we put them up for specific individuals if they prove us wrong. But quite often we only do that far too late as well because by then they're in and they've managed to manipulate us if they are a narcissist. And they get more out of us than they would someone else. Yeah. So the first one is to establish boundaries. Now, this is super important for an empath anyways, in any context, even against non-narcissists. We just need to have our boundaries more than other people because otherwise we get drained 
super fast. If it's a friend, that's a narcissist, but it's a long time friend, you know, that you met at school. Maybe you don't see each other alone. Maybe you have buffers in, in other friends, you know, you meet in a larger group. Or maybe you don't meet in a private setting where things can get too intense. Maybe you go out dancing or something. You don't have to talk to them because the music's too loud. Is that your idea? Basically, you know, where you just have that distance where you need it. And then if it's someone that you work with, now this is super tough because you can change your job, I suppose, but it's the one that's least your choice. An empath is always going to be people that you find tricky to be around. And you can't keep running or changing your job or avoiding situations. So you have to find ways to get through it. And I think the job is the trickiest because if you don't work for yourself or work from home, you spend most of your time in your Mm -hmm. office or workspace. You see these people more than your friends and family. And they're not people that you choose to be around. And it's normally the situation that you have the least control over. Yeah. In terms of manipulating it so you've got distance. But as much as you can, you have to try. So if you can avoid going to social events with them, going to lunches with them, Mm -hmm. not stopping at their desk for a chat, if you can move your desk as far away as possible, maybe you can't say, look, I need to move my desk because I can't stand being around blah, blah, blah. They're a psychic vampire. Put nice things on your desk as well. Unfortunately, I was working for an estate agent. Can you imagine how many narcissists and emotional vampires? Sorry, estate agents, I'm sure some of you are lovely, but this was a cutthroat area of London and full of people who were out to make money and would trample on anyone. And arguments would happen a lot. There was bad energy. They would bitch about each other to the boss to try and like make themselves seem better. I mean, there was all sorts going on there. If you put a psychologist in that office, they would just have a field day. And it was a small office, so I'd walk in some days and I would just feel sick because the atmosphere was just toxic, 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 toxic. And so I used to put lovely things on my desk. I'd surround myself with photos and I used to Google pictures of dogs and try and do things to distract myself from what was happening. They're anchors to help you think of positive things and not let the negativity drag you down. Yeah. The other thing is to adjust your expectations, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. So you can't fix a narcissist, but you can change your expectations of them. So just realizing, learning more about what they actually are will help you understand, oh, no, okay, this this isn't my fault or that's not me having done something wrong. I don't need to put more effort in X, Y, and Z. That's just the way they are. And that's the only way they're ever going to react. My best advice is to develop and nurture this reputation of being someone who's really bad at answering the phone or replying to text right away. (laughs) Because, you know, we've all got those friends that are, are bad, right? We just know they never pick up the phone most of us empaths, I think, don't like phone calls anyways, right? No, my phone causes me anxiety. You're looking at it going, what does that person want? And it's like, well, if we answered it, we'd find <laughs> out. Garner the reputation of being really shit at answering your phone so people don't bother doing it. And if it helps you create a little bit of distance and have that boundary, step away from your phone a bit or just get better at not replying right away. If I get triggered late in the evening by something, if I get too emotional in any way, positive, negative, whatever, I can't sleep and then I'm fucked for the next day. So I don't look at my text messages after eight o'clock anymore. So just figure out what works best for you and just start doing it. 
guard your emotional capacity. I think this is super important, whether you're an empath or not, and with every relationship. Energy vampires use nonverbal cues to know when they have someone on the hook. Your facial expression, the way you lean in, how you clasp your hands, an energy vampire can take these as signs of your investment. If you instead offer stone-faced responses and only offer short statements to their questions, you won't open yourself up to their demands and you can reserve your energy for you. Put your poker face on, hey? As empaths, we're very, I think, expressive on our faces and in our actions. Yeah. You know, if someone's telling us a sad story, we're welling up, aren't we? So, you know, we might be very tactile if we're trying to reassure someone. So all of that, if you suspect that person is a psychic vampire, cut it off. If they're not getting that from you, they'll move on. If they can't get what they want from you, they'll find another victim. What we mentioned before about the tactic I do of turning my body away, so I'm not pointing yeah. my front alignment, my chakras, my um, front part, I turn away. So they almost, I know it's possibly looking odd, but I think I've perfected it now where it's actually just a natural pose of like looking over my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> where you're just physically putting up a little bit of a barricade and that can help you emotionally do the same, right? Yeah. And then the best tip, really, if you suspect you've got a psychic vampire in your life or a narcissist, is cut them out entirely. Now, unfortunately, that's not always possible if they are in your family or, again, if you're working with them or if you're in a relationship and you just know that realistically you're not going to dump them. You're not going to cut out this friend of 25 years. But actually, in more cases than you suspect, you will have the freedom to do this. It just goes against our nature as empaths. Remember, we're in control, though. Everyone's in control of their actions. No one can make you do anything. No one can make you say anything. Perhaps in this instance, they can make you feel something. But as long as you're self-aware and practicing self-care and acknowledging it, I think journaling is a really good practice if you have a narcissist in your life. Because one of the things that happens quite a lot is the bad thing happens. And then as time carries on and the feelings fade, you start to question yourself. This awful thing they did to you a few days later feels less awful. So journaling it as it happens will help remind you, no, I wasn't in the wrong. My reactions were justified. They did do something bad to me. And if you're struggling to get rid of a narcissist or deal with them, keeping this journal will help build your prompts up and help you understand who you are, who they are, how the relationship's panning out. And it's just a really good reminder and trigger for kind of going against what we've said about feeding your monsters. But I think in this instance, you need to feed those monsters. To protect yourself. Yeah. You're reminding yourself of their fucking monster, if anything. I think a really good trick is to If you suspect you've got a narcissist in your life, if you've got someone that's causing you a whole chunk of emotional drama, have a think to yourself. If there was no negative consequences, would you cut them out? If if you didn't have to have any awkward conversation, if you weren't scared about them retaliating, would you cut them out of your life? Mm. If the answer is yes, then you've got to start working towards that, unfortunately. Mm. Because if the only reason you're keeping them in your life is because you're scared 
they're going to hurt you or use something against you or because you just want to fix them a little bit more or it's too complicated if you're if it's a relationship and you're living together and you're financially linked you know all of those reasons are not reasons to keep someone in your life life well that's my little conversation about narcissists and how they feed on empaths every day every day i know sorry <laughs> um how to end on a positive note i don't really know do we have any famous narcissists? Hey, Google. Are there any famous narcissists? On the website depressionalliance.org, they say, singer Mariah Carey is said to be one of the most overbearing and narcissistic celebrities of her generation. Narcissistic traits displayed by Carey, including treating others as though they are beneath her and all she owns them. She is the boss. Wow. So Google doesn't like Mariah Carey. Hey, <laughs> guys. That was quite scathing, wasn't it? I'm sorry, Mariah. We don't have anything against you. <laughs> no, day. Never met you, Mariah. But as soon as Google said that, I kind of thought, yeah, I can see that. That's sort of a shock to me. <laughs> I do think, my day. on a positive note, we're looking for a positive, right? Because we like to finish on a happy note. I do think that oh, throughout it all, throughout all the trials and tests as an empath and all the narcissists that have tricked me, hurt me or put me through hell and all of the social and energy vampires in my life, I wouldn't change it for one bit because it's made me grow as a person. I don't think I would understand this episode as much as I do if it wasn't for what I've been through. And I have to say, I don't even know if I would identify as an empath if it wasn't for having these experiences. So I think that although the bad stuff is always, oh, you know, I wish this never happened or, you know, why did that happen to me or it's not fair or I wish I could turn back the clock. Try and look at everything that's happened. See it as a positive. They made you into who you are strong, wise, able to set up boundaries. Able to help others in similar positions. All sorts of learning that you can take from this. And I think the world has to be made up of good and bad. Well, we're going to sign off because we have plans now. We're recording this on Zoom and we've got (laughs) plans to go and get drunk in Tracy's garden. So we're keen to wrap up. Tracy, I'll see you soon, (laughs) literally, in about five, ten minutes. And everyone, see you next week. Thank you so much. If you want lots more fun, moon info, and all things spiritual, plus our merch shop, please visit our website, weknewthemoon.co.uk. And if you want even more, head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash weknewthemoon, and check out some of our bonus content. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at we.new.the.moon, and we're also on Twitter at weknewthemoon1. See you next time!